This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. I think anytime there is a beautiful, successful woman who is murdered, that's sort of what society pays attention to, for better or for worse. There are certain events that no matter how hard you try, you just can't make sense of them. Murder is one of them especially the murder of a 46-year-old doctor in Florida. Her name, Teresa Seavers. To think of this mother of two who was killed brutally inside her home was horrifying to people. I'm Erin Moriarty, 48 Hours, and this is my life of crime. Some of the details you're about to hear are so bizarre, so ludicrous, you begin to wonder if Dr. Teresa Seaver's murder was just dreamed up by some Hollywood screenwriter. But sadly, her death is all too real. It's now 9 o'clock. Now it's 9.05. Now it's 9.15. I said, where's doctor? On the morning of June 29, 2015, Sandra Hoskins waited for her boss, Dr. Seavers, to arrive. The office was beginning to fill up with patients. I was texting back and forth trying to see if, you know, where are you at? And no response called, no answer. Mark's out of town. He says, I can't get a hold of her either. How unusual was it for Dr. Seavers not to show up? Even if it was 9 o'clock and 3 seconds after, you would hear her heels coming in. That was the doctor's trademark four-inch heels. She was a striking woman who knew how to make an entrance. But more than that, Teresa Seavers was a doctor in demand. 911, what is your emergency? Uh, I'm at a friend's house. A friend went to the house looking for Dr. Seavers and then called 911. Uh, he's out of town and she's dead on the floor. And there's a hammer at the side and she's bashed in the back of the head. Teresa Seavers had been murdered, 
bludgeoned with a hammer that was left at the scene. Her sudden violent death was hard for anyone to imagine, let alone believe. Her husband, Mark, was out of town with a couple's two children. So his stepsister, Connie, had to break the news. How did he react to the death of his wife? He couldn't speak. He's not the kind of guy that's been overly emotional on the outside, but he couldn't speak. I asked him what happened to Teresa. And what did he say? No idea. The couple had been together since 2003, when Mark, who had been living in Missouri at the time, took a vacation to Florida. Pretty much love at first sight. Well, I think by the time that he introduced her to mom, uh, I think he was pretty much done. He was off the market officially. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Teresa hung the moon. She was a remarkable human being and very special, and that's the way Mark treated it from the beginning. You could just, you could hear it in his voice. Mark is a big man, bald with a goatee, and he towered over his wife. But they had a lot in common. Mark was trained as a nurse. The couple got married on the beach and within four years had two daughters. How did Mark feel about being a dad? It was everything to him. They were his reason for being, but he was also all about Teresa and her mission. We talk about our physical health, mental health. You're listening to one of Teresa Seaver's YouTube videos where she would preach about that mission blending traditional medicine with alternative methods. There's our spiritual and energetic health. We would have patients from all over the world. They would come to us after they failed everything else. She wouldn't take no for an answer. And as a patient, she wouldn't allow you to say, I'm never gonna get better. Dr. Seaver's death was a huge loss for her, the Seavers family, and the community at large. And it was also a big story. Murders simply don't happen often in Bonita Springs. It's a wealthy enclave on the southwest coast of Florida, right between Fort Myers and Naples. Cops thought Dr. Seavers had to know her killer, so of course, her husband was high on the list of possible suspects. Did he cooperate initially? Oh, yes. I think he thought he was doing the right thing. But Mark had a pretty airtight alibi. While his wife was being attacked, he was hundreds of miles away with their daughters in upstate New York. So cops began to look for someone who might have held a grudge. Dr. Seavers, her colleagues said, could have a short fuse. I would hear doctors screaming and yelling in the in back office. Dr. Seavers would yell at the patients? She was there to help you get better, didn't have what they call the bedside manner. Frank Pays also worked in the office alongside Sandra Hoskins, who happens to be his wife. Would she yell at you? <laughs> yes. She expected perfection. And if it wasn't perfect, she would get upset. With no immediate arrest for Teresa's murder, everyone was on edge, especially Mark, who reportedly went armed to her funeral. He was very much in protective mode. When you say protective mode, what do you mean? Well, I think, you know, he always keeps an eye and an ear to the ground, so to speak, and is aware of his surroundings. And, you know, he, he was concerned for their, their safety. I think it was in the back of his mind that, that there might be some danger to his daughters because of what happened to their mother.
it did seem personal. The house had signs of forced entry. There were pry marks on a side door. But Mark's gun collection and $40,000 in cash inside went untouched. There was a home alarm, but it had been turned off. According to a local reporter at the time, Jessica Lipscomb, all kinds of rumors were swirling around. I think the theory that I heard was that maybe it was a patient. Um, Obviously, they were interviewing all of her friends and family members. So it was pretty much like a wide open field of suspects at that point. Including employees of the doctor. When cops talked to Teresa Seaver's sister, she pointed her finger at Sandra. You may not like your boss, but you don't badmouth them to patients that are coming in the doors, like Dr. Seavers, you know, she's yeah, a, she's, a she's talking about Sandra Hoskins, Dr. Seavers' medical assistant. Now I know why I was not received very well at her memorial. Why would anyone think that you did this? That is shocking to me. A lot of the patients did know the way she treated me. In fact, Sandra admitted to me that she had planned to resign the very Monday Dr. Seavers was found dead. She says the doctor had accused her of bringing bad energy to the office. And so people thought, maybe you just had enough. Yeah. But Sandra was cleared of any suspicion when cops got a very strange but credible tip, a tip that took the investigation 1,100 miles away to the state of Missouri. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. So we showed up to a press conference, I believe that August, and the sheriff gets up there and tells us uh, simply the name of uh, the first suspect, Jimmy Rogers. And he says he's from Missouri, and he's been booked for the murder of Teresa Sievers. Never heard of him. So I thought, oh, well, who is he? And what's he got to do with this? None of the local reporters, including Jessica Lipscomb, had ever heard the name Jimmy Rogers. And then about an hour later, he calls us in again and says, we've now picked up a second suspect, Curtis Wayne Wright, also from Missouri. It was so shocking. Shocking doesn't quite fully describe it. Why and how did two guys from Missouri get involved in the murder of Teresa Seavers? So I went back to Mark Seavers' family. Well, none of them had heard of Jimmy Rogers. But they did know Curtis Wainwright. And here's where the story gets a little strange. Wright bears an unmistakable and uncanny resemblance to Teresa Seaver's husband, Mark. At least in pictures, they look like twins. And that's in, that's that's when I've started to believe, you know, that definitely there is not something right with with Curtis Wainwright. It was Mark's very good friends from ages and ages. So I didn't believe it. I didn't. 
The folks who worked in Teresa's office, Sandra Hoskins and her husband, Frank, also knew Curtis Wainwright. It turns out he was a computer tech who came regularly to the office, where he was known simply as Wayne. How would you describe Wayne? He was geeky. All he wanted to do was get the computers up and running, focused. But to me, he just seemed like a very geeky creepster. Did he make you nervous? A little bit. I can't explain it. It's just a woman's intuition. Actually, Sandra's discomfort isn't such a mystery. Wayne's effort to look more and more like Mark Seavers was a little off-putting. How would you describe Mark and Wayne's relationship? They appear to be close friends? Yeah. You always say he's my brother from another mother. Yeah, that was his lingo. And as we're about to learn, Seavers and Wright go back a long way, back to Hillsborough, Missouri, where both men grew up and where Wayne Wright still lived. That's also where we found Greg Bolin, who had grown up with both men. This here is Hillsborough Elementary School. This is where me and Wayne met for the very first time in third grade. By high school, it looked like Wayne Wright was a man going places. He actually ran for and became our class president. Smart? Very smart. Quite honestly, he was one of the smartest people with computers that I ever met. But at some point, Wayne got derailed by drugs and maybe even something worse. In 1996, Greg Boland's brother Ronnie, a preacher, disappeared. According to police, Ronnie Boland was last seen with Wayne Wright. Do you believe Wayne Wright killed your brother? Yes, I do. You have no question about that? I have no doubt in my mind. But while Wainwright is listed in a police report as a person of interest, he was never charged in Ronnie's disappearance. His problems with the law continued to pile up. In 2011, when Wayne was serving time for drug possession, he befriended another inmate, a young man doing time on a weapons charge. His name will sound familiar, Jimmy Ray Rogers. The same Jimmy Rogers charged with the murder of Teresa Seavers. Supposedly, Jimmy Rogers' nickname was The Hammer, but I think that was more of like a self-given nickname. If you talk to some of his friends from high school, they say nobody really called him that. But I think maybe going to jail for the first time, you know, trying to make a name for himself, maybe that's something he sort of assigned himself to fit in. Jimmy The Hammer Rogers. Suddenly, those two arrests were beginning to make a lot of sense to reporter Jessica Lipscomb. Teresa Seavers was, after all, murdered with a hammer. What's more, right before her murder, Wayne Wright was telling friends he was taking a trip. He let it slip to lots of people that he was going down to Florida, told some people he was even going to visit the Seavers. Wayne took a rental car to Florida, and he didn't go alone. The other passenger, you guessed it, Jimmy Rogers. Rogers told his girlfriend that Wayne had offered him a job. He had told her that he was going down to Florida to make some money. A tip had led Florida detectives to Missouri and the two men, but neither was talking. But then they didn't have to, because as it turns out, they had left a very clear digital trail on the rental car GPS. 
The trail begins on June 27, 2015, just two days before Teresa Severs was found dead. Her address was put in the GPS. At 6 a.m. the next day, the car arrives at the Severs' house. No one is home because Teresa Severs is still with Mark and their children in upstate New York. She would come back alone to the house that evening. In the meantime, another address is put in the GPS, a nearby Walmart. And there's no mistaking Jimmy Rogers on that store video. Reporter Jessica Lipscomb. Obviously, looking at that security footage from the Walmart, they're able to pretty quickly determine that that's who who was with Wayne. They made no effort to cover their faces, disguise themselves. They just waltzed through like they were anyone else. Rogers and Wright bought trash bags, flushable wet wipes, black shoes and towels, and a lock-picking kit. They paid for it all with a $100 bill. Arrogance? or just plain stupidity. Does it make any sense that this guy who was so good with computers would have left such a trail? It does, but it doesn't. Uh, To a lot of people looking at it, it kind of makes it look like, you know, these guys were just dumb and dumber, but that's a lot of how he operated. The men then hung out at the house for hours until an unsuspecting Seavers arrived home alone late that night. Hours later, in the early morning of June 29th, the rental car GPS shows the men back on the highway, headed home to Missouri. You're going to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, correct? Yes. Jimmy Rogers' girlfriend, Taylor Showmaker, later filled in holes for investigators. She told them that when Jimmy got home from Florida, he took her on a ride along Route 47 in rural Missouri and asked her to throw out evidence. He said, throw this in the river, and it took me a minute to cook in. And then I threw out the gloves out, and gloves I first. waited a minute, and then I threw out the jumpsuit. Did you ask why, or you just did it? No, I just did it. I was scared. Showmaker says Rogers eventually told her what happened. And he told me about using a hammer on her. Okay, and he said that he killed Teresa Seavers, Mark's wife, with a hammer. Yes. So now cops are pretty sure they knew who killed Teresa Seavers. But they weren't sure why. The answer came during that interview with the girlfriend of Jimmy Rogers. And then... Asked him how does he make money, and it was murdering Mark's wife. He said that Mark hired Wayne. Yes, and Wayne hired him. Mark didn't know anything about Jimmy being hired. Where's the money supposed to come from? Insurance from her death. Okay, and did he ever get paid? No. There were no longer two suspects. There were now three Again, reporter Jessica Lipscomb. Did everyone then say, oh my gosh, Mark had to be involved? Definitely. I mean, there was really no putting Wayne in Florida in Bonita Springs inside their house without Mark knowing about it. Did it occur to either one of you that Mark might be involved? No. Mark's family, however, refused to believe it. Not even a thought in the back of your mind? No, no, absolutely not. And they continued to believe in Mark's innocence, even when eight months after Teresa's murder, 
Wainwright suddenly agreed to take a deal. And he turned on Jimmy Rogers and his lookalike best friend, Mark Seavers. Mr. Wright, why are you pleading guilty today to second-degree murder? I'm, I'm pleading guilty uh, because of my role in the planning and participating of the murders, Teresa Seavers. Wright said that the murder was all Mark's idea. Mark, did you hire Wayne Wright to kill your wife? Mark Seavers, who was hundreds of miles away when his wife was killed, was charged with her murder. Did you hire anyone to kill your wife? It seemed to make sense. The Seavers' marriage had been more troubled than anyone knew. And police found five insurance policies on Teresa worth more than $4 million. But Mark's stepsister Connie doesn't believe it. She says her brother would never risk losing his children. It had to be Wayne alone. Why would Wayne? kill Teresa. Because he's a sick man. Do you think Wayne was jealous of Mark? I think it's possible. Whether he's jealous of Mark or wanted to be Mark, I don't, I don't have any clue. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? <laughs> Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Wainwright even shaved off his own hair when Mark went bald. The two men had almost morphed into each other. So Connie Reese began to wonder if Wright so envied his best friend's life, he decided to destroy it. The state, though, has a much simpler explanation. This case was about the perfect marriage, the perfect friendship, the perfect alibi, the perfect murder. The perfect murder for hire. In the fall of 2019, Assistant State Attorney Hamid Hunter first tried Jimmy Rogers for murder. Mr. Wright hit her with the hammer. He hit her again. Mr. Rogers came out of nowhere. Mr. Rogers engages with his hammer, and he starts hitting her, hitting her, hitting her. Jimmy Rogers was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. And then just about a month later, it was Mark Seaver's turn he was facing the death penalty. This is a case in which 21st century technology became vital. Cell towers, cell tower dumps, call detail records that allowed massive amounts of data to be sorted, organized, and searched. There is a lot of evidence in this case, but much of it, as Seaver's attorney points out, only connects Curtis Wayne Wright to the murder. Curtis swings that hammer. Bang! Right in the side of the head. Followed by another one across the bridge of the nose. Curtis says, I struck Teresa three times in the head with a hammer. But Jimmy did the rest. And then it's time for the star witness. 
and it's a startling moment. There they are, two men, once the closest of friends, now the bitterest of enemies. In their face-off, they still look like twins, except Seavers is there in a gray suit, right on the stand in his orange prison jumpsuit. Mr. Wright, who killed Dr. Teresa Seavers? Jimmy Rogers and I physically did it, but uh, Mark Seavers was also involved in the planning. Why did you do it? Um, I was asked to do it. By whom? Uh, Mr. Seavers. Wright says that Seavers feared his wife would leave him, taking their two daughters. The only option that he had was for her to die. Um, And he said that he needed to have her killed. Is that true? Did Mark Seavers hire his best friend to kill his wife? It's finally Seavers' chance to tell his story, his chance to tell the truth. But when the judge asks if he wants to take the stand... I'm not going to testify. Okay. But I'd like to go home. I'm not going to testify, he says to the judge. I would like to go home. That's not going to happen. The jury find as follows as to the defendant in this case. Count one, first-degree murder. The defendant is guilty of first-degree murder. On January 3rd, 2020, Seavers returned to court, now in an orange jumpsuit of his own, to be sentenced by the judge. I judge uh, people's actions. I don't judge people's souls. That's for somebody else to do. Sir, I'm going to go ahead and adjudicate you guilty on each count. On the first count, first-degree murder, and it's the order of the court that you be sentenced to death, sir. And there you have it. A tragic case that left two now teenage daughters without a mom or a dad. And so many destroyed lives. Why would Mark Seavers risk it all? There are so many holes in this story. Holes that even a skilled screenwriter might have trouble filling. I'm Erin Moriarty, 48 Hours, and that's my life of crime. A special thanks to the 48 Hours team, as well as my producers, Sam Egan, Alan Pang, and CBS Audio. Subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at CBS Life of Crime. We'll see you next time. If you like My Life of Crime with Aaron Moriarty, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.